Hey, this is Philip Craig here. I'm the pastor of Aria Church. This is our podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this empowers you. I hope it fuels your faith. And I hope it impacts your life. Enjoy the message. Tonight's message is called, They Wronged Me. Turn to your neighbor and say, They Wronged Me. They wrong me. You've never complained about anyone wronging you in here, I'm sure, but uh, a lot of people do. So they say, but uh, let's just pray. God, I just thank you. For today, I thank you that you love us and you called us, God, and you've called us to overcome offense. Um, you've called us to, to not uh, run from it or be driven by it or, or to let it control us, but you've called us to uh, deal with it face on, one to one. And uh, God, you've given us everything that we need that pertains to life and godliness. In Jesus' name, everyone said? Okay, amen. So I'm going to go straight into the scripture here. So last week, we've been talking about a few different things during the series. These are probably the last two parts of the series this week and next week, uh, and we're probably going to get a wee bit heavier uh, on purpose, because it's so important. You understand, we are on our launch year. So this is the kind of, since our official launch in October, everything that we do now defines who we are. Everything we teach now defines who you think we are. And so it's very clear that we have clear expectations uh, as we go along. Uh, you know, I was a, I'm a teacher, and I've been teaching for about 10 years now. And one thing I learned at the very start of teaching was as much as you want to be everyone's friend and kids' friends, it actually just doesn't work being their friend. You've got to set clear expectation from the start um, if you want to be blessed later on and you want to have a healthy relationship later on. It's the same in any relationship. You get into a relationship with a, you know, a girlfriend or boyfriend or husband or wife. I'm sure a lot of people would say, there's got to be clear expectations of this is okay and this is not. We're exclusive one-to-one. Friendship's the same. There's got to be boundaries. And if there's not, guess what's going to happen? Some people are going to get offended and hurt, and there's going to be destruction and breakdown within those relationships. Um, and the same applies to church. The same applies at school. The same applies in the classroom. Um, and I just remember going in and trying to be all friendly to the kids, and then it, it worked for maybe a week or two, and they were saying, you're the best teacher ever, because I'm letting them do whatever they want. And then eventually, all of a sudden, I have to realize, like, we're not getting any work done. <laughs> kids are throwing stuff at me. They're starting to push. They're looking for boundaries because they keep trying to push for boundaries that are invisible because I haven't made myself clear. And then what happens is people just get annoyed at each other, at us, at me. They fall out with each other and they fall out with me because eventually I realize at the other side that I need to put boundaries in place. But at that stage, their expectations have been so low that they're, they're mad at anything. Uh, uh, and, and what I realize is, that, whoa, 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 whoa. It's so, 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 so important that, that we are clear up front from the start. And it's not gonna be all nicey-nice a lot of the time. It's gonna be like, hey, we, this, has got, this is the truth. <laughs> when you come into the classroom, you've got to sit down, and you're not allowed to throw chairs. That's the truth. I'm not out to get you. It's just the way it is. And so in the same way within church, the same way within any organization where there's people, there's got to be certain kinds of ways of doing things where there's order. Because when order is restored, blessing is released. If there's not order in your life right now, it's going to be very hard for God to bless you and show you his love and, sh- and, and, and bring you into healthy relationships if you just let anything goes. 
If you don't know who you are, if there's not order in your identity of who you are and who made you and who has the rights over you, then there's not going to be blessing in your life in that area because you don't know who you are. And you keep getting blown around by the news and all of a sudden you read a magazine, you don't know who you are again. And then you get confused by your feelings. Your feelings are going all over the show because you don't know who you are. You have no pivot point. There's no pivotal foundation to your identity. And so that's why next week we're going to talk about some of the stuff that we hear so often about, about sexuality and all that kind of stuff. And it's kind of, you're kind of nearly scared to talk about that because there's so much confusion around it in the world today. There's so much confusion. But listen, if the church can't talk about this stuff, who can? If God can't, doesn't have answers for these things, who does? And I, I think what, what you see in, the, in life today is a lot of humans who have not created themselves, who were created by an, some kind of intelligent designer, depending on where you're from and what your background is or what you've believed in the past, your belief systems have been developed, thrown about, maybe being confused. If we don't know who we are, or don't believe in somebody that created us, then, then we're just confused full stop. We don't actually know much. And if we start to think that we know how everything works, then we're trying to play God. And so, and so we've got to deal with those things as a foundation. And it's, listen, it's not going to be, it's, it's, it's got to be through grace. We're all, we'll, we'll move on. And I'll explain some things as we go along. But that's going to be really important next week uh, that we get some kind of framework around that in a loving, caring, graceful way. Um, so it says in 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and give us the ministry of reconciliation. So God reckoned, use this word, it uses this word in the Bible, reconciled. He reconciled us to himself and then he reconciled us to others. So, so God wants us to love God, be in connection with him, and then from that connection then to love and connect with others, right? And, and then our, our, our ministry, our job is to then, as we connect with others, point people to connecting with God. Does that make sense? And so that is the ministry that God has given us. Why? Because God wants to tell us who we are. He wants to help us to see our purpose. He wants to activate us to make a difference. Because God knows that, that to be a true, uh, fulfilled human being, to know that you're loved, to have eternal life, God, God knew that we would need purpose. And he, he knew that we would have to serve in order to feel fulfilled. That's why to be great, you serve the greatest act of all is to serve one another, not self. That, that actually never gives you what you truly desire. And so what, what does that word reconciliation mean in the Greek? And so we see it on the screen here. The word uh, reconciliation in the Greek, Greek comes from the family of alasso, Greek words. And this, the definition of this word is to change, to exchange one thing for another or to transform. So there's an exchange one for another. If I give you this, you give me that. And so the first point I want to make, when we become a new creation, when we receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, we connect with God through Jesus, and we reconcile with God, and this is to exchange sin for salvation. Sin for salvation, so that's point one. To reconcile, point one, 
Waking up, lads. There we go. To reconcile with God is to exchange sin. Is that point one? I maybe have put this up wrong. Go back one. Back one. Okay, maybe I didn't give you that slide. <laughs> Let me just say it. Sorry, guys. I judged you right there for at least three seconds. To reconcile with God is to exchange sin for salvation. What does that look like? You see, it's, it's the first part of our vision to know God. We lead people to know God, to reconcile people from, from earth to heaven. We want to connect with heaven, and as we connect with heaven, heaven comes to earth. Now, there's some things as we do that get in the way. There's some things as we do that cause, causes uh, a blockage. There's some things that we do that, that actually limits heaven coming into our situation, limits the peace of God coming into our situation, limits God building our life, limits God blessing us in different areas. Dean knows what else is not in there? I can't believe that. I went ahead this morning and I assumed that was up on the screen. Um, you see, this is what I love about God. God, is not, God has not designed us to be alone. He doesn't want us just to connect with ourselves. He doesn't want us just to live this lonely life, just living for ourselves, thinking we know everything about ourselves, thinking we know how life works. God never intended us to have it all worked out. He's given us God on the inside of us, absolutely. He's given us all kinds of gifts and abilities. And so I want to show you something. There's a test on Tim. Come on, head on up. Put our hands together for Tim. So Tim's doing a, an interest group bi-weekly. He started this week. Um, and Tim is doing darts. So I thought, um, I, I was wa watching a program, Morgan Freeman, Fre Morgan Freeman um, was doing this documentary and they were kind of trying to look at, is there evil in the world? Is there good and is there bad? And does it exist? And you know, it, we know all these religions talk about evil, but is it actually there? And so... <laughs> It, what he done was he, he, he worked with the most innocent people in society today, which, we, which you would think would be children, because they haven't been trained or haven't been tempted, as you would think, in any of the, the bad sins or the bad evils um, at that age. And they're, they're more impressionable, they're, they're more teachable usually uh, when they're younger, when people are younger. And so what he done was he got everyone, they, they put the, they'd done this trial and everyone came into a little room. And all there was in the room was a dartboard on the wall. Okay, and they explained to the kids, listen kids, there's prizes to be won here, okay? And whoever gets the best score on the dartboard, and obviously the center of the bullseye is, is the highest score that you can get, whoever gets the best score wins. And you get prizes, and there's all kinds of gifts. And so let's, let's, let's say that this is nearly like heaven to earth. This is like gifts and blessings and goodness and mercy. And so, so the kids are thinking that way, they're like, oh, I really want to get the best score. I want to get prizes. I want to be, uh, like I know none of the parents in here have ever told their kids they'll buy them an ice cream to try and get them to behave or, or buy them some Haribo. I know that would never happen, but, but that's what was happening here. And, and so they put a strip of tape along uh, the floor and said, listen, that's, you cannot shoot past the tape. You must shoot before the tape because that's the line. That's like the law. That's the rule book. And if you go beyond that, that's, you know, it's cheating. You shouldn't do that. And so you've got to shoot from there and try and get it on the board, and whoever gets the, the, the highest score, then 
you'll be rewarded, you'll get all these nice gifts and prizes, and heaven will come to earth. And, and so they had a camera up in the corner of the room, and they let the kids go in one by one. And so if the stage is like that, that room, they said, right, kids, um, we're going to let you go in one by one. No one's going to be there apart from you. And we're going to, go, we're going to allow you to go in and have your three goes and then come back out, and then we're going to record your score. So the first kid goes in, and they have it all on camera, and they're kind of looking at the board, and they're kind of thinking for a second, and they're like, right, I really want to win. There's a prize. There's a goal. That I'm going to get a gift. Heaven's going to come to earth. And, I, and then they thought for a second, and they're like, they start to go back out again. And they started to look around the hallway to see if anyone's there. And then they came back in to the room, this little kid, and then all of a sudden, oh, over the line. Starts to walk up, and all of a sudden just planted. <laughs> Guess where they planted it? Didn't even try to be a bit more sly about it and put a 20 and maybe a, a one and then a, a bullseye. They just done bullseyes, three bullseyes. Can you believe this kid was so talented? First time ever playing this game, and they got three bullseyes. And, and, so, and so they're like, this is amazing. Like, it's amazing that this innocent, beautiful little kid who's never been taught how to cheat had the natural capacity and ability to cheat. And so then they're like, right, this is interesting. What if we get a chair? Dylan, you couldn't bring me that little chair up for me, please. What if we get a chair in the same room with the same age kids, and now they've done these tests time and time again, this is nothing new. And what if we get a chair and, 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 and we tell the kids that there's an invisible king sitting on this chair, but you can't see him. But, but as you come into the room alone, the invisible king is watching you. And so they've done exactly the same thing and the kids came in and the line was on the floor and it was, unbelievable because every single kid that came in, they kind of looked at the chair, and then because they believed that there was a king, an invisible king sitting on the chair who's going to judge, but also celebrate them and, and encourage them, they then done the activity and walked back out and didn't step over the line, and done it completely fairly. It's, it's nearly as if God had designed us in such a way that we that we needed a God who was omnipresent. It's nearly as if we needed a God who was everywhere, even though Jesus did come as God to earth in flesh and bone. He wrapped himself up, but he was limited during that time because he could only be in one place at one time. But then when he ascended to heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit that is omnipresent, that's everywhere. But it's funny how the kids all of a sudden start to do and walk in a way which was pleasing to God when they thought there was, a, there was a God-type figure in the corner. And see, what I believe, put our hands together for Tim. And see, what I believe in this scenario, what it tells us is, is as people, we need to understand who we are. You see, what, what, what really is going on here when we think that there's somebody in the magic chair, or we think there's this omnipresent God looking at us, what is really going on is that there was no force, there was no voice came from the chair. There, they didn't see anyone, but what happened was it forced them to look in the mirror at themselves at why they were doing what they were doing. And when they had a little bit of accountability, they knew what was right and what was wrong. 
when they thought nobody was looking, the sinful nature had a free-for-all. And see, that, that's what I believe in the, in the Bible. It talks about, yes, the, the law that we see in the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments, it says it's the ministry of death. But what it really that means is, is, is as you look to yourself, you see sin. <laughs> oh, my word, I want to sin. Oh, my word, I, I'm, this is wrong. But, but if we try to pretend and live this life that everything goes and it's all grace and God loves you no matter what, what happens is you just do what you want, where you want, how you want. And, and one, there's no game. No one plays by the rules. No one really is a good start, darts player because they never actually trained or done, done, went through the, uh, the, the exercise and the time and, and took true time to, to perfect the art. And so really, as much as they might have three bullseye, or some, some of you in your life might have what is perceived to be three bullseye and how you are perceived to be, I'm so happy I've got three bullseye in my life. I look so happy every time I come to church. My car is so clean. You might be perceived on the outside to look like everything is going well, but actually underneath the surface, it's just an act. Underneath the surface, you don't have true peace. Why? Because you haven't actually been true to yourself. You haven't had honest conversations with God and with others. You've been living this life to nearly try. To, why, why would you want to get three bullseye anyhow? Because you, you want a, a prize, you, you want to probably impress people. And I was looking at this CrossFit um, uh, channel, or not channel, documentary on, on Netflix last night, and I was talking about how there was a guy there, I don't know, I think maybe a year or so ago, and, and they had been doing this CrossFit uh, World Championship, and everyone there just so intense, like Jennifer there, just crazy built, just abs popping out everywhere, and triceps and all that kind of stuff. Um, anyone ever seen them in a while? You say, like, what's, what's, what are those? And, and so everyone's just so committed to this sport and, and they give everything up and they're just so focused. And, and all of a sudden this guy came on the scene from Australia and he was just doing really well for his age and the amount of experience he had and everyone was kind of like, whoa, this guy's really going to challenge for the, the championship here and he's only on the scene. And and they were all surprised, but later on they found out after he was given the third place award that he had actually been taking illegal drugs. He was caught out. He had tried to shortcut his way. When no one was looking, he was popping some stuff. He was injecting some stuff when nobody else was looking. He thought he had got away. Why? Because he was trying to make his way to get something that he never really deserved. He was trying to earn something. He was trying to become something beyond his natural ability while everyone else was working hard at their art, at their craft. And so what way did that make other people feel when they found out? It was like, kick him off, he deserves it. We're, we're slogging our guts out here, trying to get fit, trying to do it right, trying to be authentic, trying to be real. And we're offended at this guy, and we don't want him anywhere near us. And so, and so what am I trying to say is that in, in, on the inside of us, we all have this nature that loves shortcuts. We all have this nature, oh, I wish I could just win the lottery. <laughs> Even though half the time people win the lottery, it destroys them. Because they can't handle it. And, and I love that statement where it talks about uh, sometimes our gifts, our talents, can bring us places where our training or, or our character can't keep us. We can get into places that we can't stay because <laughs> we can't handle the pressure. We haven't 
taking our time. That's why when God grows, he often is in the slow cooker. He's not often in the microwave, and it takes time. And if you don't learn to be happy with yourself in the moment, in the now, then you're going to struggle. And, and so I'm just loving all these examples just to connect with people in, in the crowd there. You know, it's Jennifer, that's you sorted. CrossFit, you're connecting with the message. That's, you know, the modern, the, the old school was the farming. Now we're going to CrossFit. Next, this, was, this one's for Ken. Whoa, 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 whoa. Um, and so another thought, just to get this point across, because I know we don't like thinking we're sinners. We like to think we're good, don't we? I'm a good person. I'm a good, like I do good things. And I think it's the same way. I sometimes think my car is looking clean. I think my car's clean. I like it. You know, it's, the car's looking pretty clean. Like it's, it's looking decent. It shines from a distance. Have you ever heard that saying, they're, they're good from far, but they're, they're far from good? Have you ever, ever used that saying? No one here would ever use that. Um, but, but some people would often say, oh, they're far. <laughs> good from far. from far, but far from good. Once I get up close, all, all of a sudden. And so I used to think my car was very, you know, I thought it was respectively clean. I like my wheels and different things. And then Ken comes in and it's like, that, is, that, is that for the circus, that car? Could, because Ken's got an eye to detail. He's got an eye for detail. And he was checking out all the imperfections and slating my car. And in some ways, if you ever cleaned your car and then go for, you go for a drive and you come back, and if you were to get a white cloth and to wipe it over that car, which looks pristine, it looks completely clean, but if you were to, to get a white cloth and clean the surface of that, that car, even though it looks good from a distance, even though it looks clean, it would end up being this color like a filthy rag. It would end up all gray and dirty and messy and rotten. Why? B- because as much as we think it's good from the human eye or, or from, from a distance, when you get into the crevices, when you get in beneath, underneath the car, when you get into the engine and you get down the back of the seats, you start to realize, whoa, this is filthy. And if I was to wipe a cloth the whole way around it, it would turn from white to black. And see, see, as much as we like to think we're good, when you compare good to perfection, <laughs> it's filthy. It all accumulates, and the Bible actually says in Isaiah 64 and 6, all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all, all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Actually, I don't want to go into the details of that, but that word in its original language is talking about a female time of the month rag type thing, and, and uh, yeah, bleh. but why would you use that kind of language? It's to get an extreme point across. Is that as much as we think we're good, <laughs> maybe on human standards, maybe we are, but when we compare ourselves to a perfect God, there's just no comparison. It's just, there's, it, there's just dirt everywhere. And so reconciliation begins when grace is grace and sin is sin. Grace is grace and sin is sin. There's no point trying to pretend we're perfect when we're we're far from perfect. But it's actually that that imperfection that inspires us to receive God's grace. If we think we know it all and we've got all the answers, then we're never open or humble enough to receive advice. Or we'll never have a teachable spirit. And I, you know, I think it's so important that when we realize that flip out, 
the older I get, the more I realize that I'm more imperfect than I once thought I was. There's maybe a, a season in your life where you think you're more perfect than you really are, and, and, and you just have no experience. Maybe as a kid in your teenage years and everything's going good and there's no issues, but, but I think as you grow older, you start to realize, whoa, 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 <laughs> I really don't know that much, if I'm honest. I don't really know how that's going to work out, if I'm honest. I'm just trying to do my best and take advice. And, and one thing I realize is that, that it's so, so important. Yes, we've got issues. Yes, we've got problems. Yes, we're not perfect and we'll make mistakes. But it's so important as we do that that we have spaces where we feel safe in. And, and the reason a lot of times people don't expose some of their mistakes is because they don't want people to jump all over them and, and criticize them for being imperfect. And I think it's so important. This, yes, we're sinners, and yes, we do our best, and yes, it'll always fall short of God's glory, but God's grace is sufficient to empower us to go forward. And so I want to talk a wee bit about forgiveness and reconciliation and how do we deal with that with people around us. And so it says in Matthew 5 and 23, it says, so then if you bring your gifts to the altar and they remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar First go and be reconciled with your brother and then come and present your new gift. So it's talking about now, about how, okay, we're all imperfect, we're all sinners, we're all uh, filthy rags if we compare ourselves to a holy God. But God loves us and he, he sent his son for us so that we could have life and have purpose. He didn't give up on us, he sent a, a sacrifice so that we could have purpose and we could make a difference. And we could experience his love. And so here we have it. But God's sin, one of the first things that we've got to be serious about is reconciliation. If you want to bring a gift to church or to the house of God, that's great. But God's more concerned about your heart. Sometimes we can do, have acts. We can do acts of forgiveness. We can do, we can do acts of generosity. But there's a difference between an act and a lifestyle of generosity. There's a difference between an act of forgiveness and a lifestyle of forgiveness. And God has called us to a lifestyle to, to continually forgive people. And so he's saying here basically in Matthew 5, it says, first go and be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your gift. So, so straight away what God said is, I want you to focus on your heart. Yes, it's good to give, it's good to be generous, it's good to do all those things, and, but, but, but your heart... How are you with people? Is your heart bitter? Is your heart mad? Is your heart angry? Deal with that first. And then it goes on to say, in Matthew 18, 21, it says, Then Peter came up and asked him, Lord, how many times may my brother sin against me, and I have to forgive him? <laughs> More or less, oh, do I have to do it again? Can I get off? Like, is there a limit? There's got to be a limit. And honestly, I, I would say Peter's probably thinking, uh, how long do I have to wait until I can just get mad and be angry at this person and not forgive them? Because, you know, if you're honest, I don't know about you, but if I'm honest, when, when I get mad or, or see someone that's wronged me, I want to find a way to get them back. I want life not to work out for that person. I want to find out when life has messed itself up and, I, and when they've fallen, I want to know. Is that just me? Yeah? No? And there's, there's something inside of me nearly takes pleasure in, in finding out if things didn't go to plan. Because why? Because I didn't forgive them. 
because I'm still kind of mad and I want them to get paid back for their sin or whatever I felt was their sin from my perspective. And so here's Peter. He says, seven times Jesus told him, I tell you not just seven times, but 77 times. So what does that look like? That looks like what Jesus is really saying here. He's like, listen, seven is the number for completion. There's seven days in a week. He's saying, I don't want you just to forgive them for one week, but I want you to forgive them week after week after week, infinity to infinity, meaning it's just a, a, it's always a yes to forgiveness. It's always a yes, no matter how you feel. It's too often in life, we wait for a feeling. I'll wait till I feel like forgiven, then I'll forgive. I'll wait till the time's right. There's some things in life we can't afford to wait until the time is right. It's just a, we got to trust God. We got to obey what he says. And then why? Because God wants heaven to come to earth. The reason some of us aren't experiencing heaven on earth in some areas of our life is because you're not, you haven't made the decision 100% to forgive. When you start to say, I'll forgive maybe 80%, but there's still a wee bit of bitterness that I'm choosing to keep just for a rainy day. And what that does is it gives a foothold. And, and usually that then will go from 80-20 to maybe 50-50 to then 80-20 the other way. And it'll keep fluctuating. You'll be blown around like the wind, depending on your emotions. Then it goes on to say, uh, Ephesians 4 and 32, it says, Instead, be kind to one another, compassionate, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ also forgives you. And you see, you see, this is what we got to understand, is that if you don't understand how much God has forgiven you, this is why I've, we've got to talk about the sin stuff. Because if you don't have grace from God, you don't have anything to give. You can't give people what you don't have. If you don't understand that God has saved you from yourself, has saved you from this condition which is called sin, then, then you're, gonna, you're not going to understand why you should forgive anyone else. You're going to have no grace to give anybody else because you don't think you need it yourself. And that's why we become prideful and we think we deserve things and I should be in this position, I should be over here. And I've been to the church long enough now, they should be saying thank you more than that. We start to expect. Yeah, it was about 15 years ago I was in a relationship and it didn't end too well and and I'll, I'll be honest, it's, you know, just a, it's, it's always around people that you obviously have unforgiveness. And, and I, I got actually, I made a very bad decision to nearly put a wall up, like a vow, an inner vow. And, and honestly, it's still something I battle with because I was in a bad trail of thought for, for 15 years. It's nearly like I, I made my, a different pathway and now I have to kind of try and make it God's pathway, the proper pathway, but, but it, it's, 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 I've nearly trained myself the wrong, I've got to renew my mind and keep reminding, and sometimes it's quite painful, and it, it's vulnerable because you feel safer doing it your way sometimes, and, and what I realized and I learned off that, the next time I had an opportunity like that where I, got, I felt I got wounded in, in a similar way, um, I was very quickly to realize, Flip, I have to forgive quick here. Because if I don't, it could cost me another 10, 15 years. And I'd learned it's just life happens and you learn. But, but what I'd done was I forgave. I, I just spoke it out. I just obeyed what the scripture said. I spoke it out. God, I prayed blessing over people who I perceived or at least felt like enemies in my emotions. And honestly, today, I, would, I feel like I've stayed on course in that area. 
from that situation today, I feel the resentment's at a very low level because I acted quick when someone hurt me and I forgive them. Why? Because I knew <laughs> if God's going to bring me peace, blessing, joys, and love in that area and being, give me the capacity to love my enemy, I can't let it take root. And so what I would say to you is, is to make a decision. Don't wait for emotion. Make the decision quick because if you don't, it's going to be so much harder to recover if you leave it and, and begin to go down a pathway where it takes so long. I'm not saying that God can't shift that in a moment, but I'm just saying if, you, if you've trained your mind in a certain way of thinking, it's very hard to shift a lot of the time overnight. It takes time. And so let's just do what the Bible says and, and heaven will come to earth in that area. So n- number two, or what is it on the screen there, Nathan? For, yes, it's number two. Forgiveness is not a feeling, it's a choice. It's not a feeling, I'm telling you. It's not a, if you go with your feelings, you'll waste years, decades of your life. And it, you'll put walls up for decades. Decades, like it's, it's, it's real. You'll push people away for decades. You'll lose out on, on God's best in that area of your life for decades. I've done it. There's people in here, you're in that situation right now, and you know what it is, and you, you might need some help. You might need to go to counseling. You might need to go to someone who's been through what you've been through. Why? Because God, don't let the enemy steal from you. There's a blockage there. I, I'm still working through it, if I'm honest. Uh, but, but God's using that to help me understand and have empathy for other people in that same situation. But let's not... Listen, if you're still struggling, you're st- you, know, you know what it means? The fight's not over. <laughs> you're still in the fight. If you're still struggling, you're still in the fight. You're not, you haven't been beaten. You haven't given up. Right, we want to finish soon. So this is a, one of my favorite statements. I remember as, a, as I was in leadership training uh, at, at Bible school and stuff, I remember this quote coming up to me on Twitter, and it really it captured my heart. And it's, a, it's talking about leadership, but this applies where all leaders, leaders are just influencers. And so it talks about non-leaders do this. Non-leaders give people the law, as in they give them the black and white truth, and they judge them from afar, but they give themselves grace. Have you ever done that? You're like, you're looking at someone and their behavior or someone's kids or whatever it is, and, and you're judging them like, I can't believe that, like the way they're acting. But if you'd done the exact same thing, you'd be like, oh, but my heart, oh, but I, I was just tired. Oh, but I, I tried my best. Oh, I was just angry. Oh, I just, has anyone ever done that before? Where you give other people the law, the judgment, but you give yourself grace all day long. And if you're late for church or you're late for work, or, oh, but, but there was a, a few buses and a few tractors in the way, and you know, my, my heart was right, I meant well, but, but if someone else was late, oh, it's just grace, this shouldn't be paid. Sack them now. They, they don't deserve to be here. They're taking it for granted. Isn't that what we do? But, but actually, a true leader, if you want to be a true leader, we've got to learn to give others grace and give ourselves the law. That's what a true leader does. Because you, know you know what a leader does? It hold, they hold themselves to a higher standard. Well, but, but Phil, we're not under the law anymore. Yes, I, I know we're not. But he, he, that, that's why Jesus brought us from death to life. When you give yourself the law, it can, it can, it's a mirror image. And it shows you all your imperfections. And it shows you how flawed you really are. And it, but it also shows you how good God is. 
and it begins to fill you up with grace, the grace of God. As you look to the law, as you look to the perfection of God Almighty and how he still loved you, as you look into the law of life, as you make mistakes and you, you, you acknowledge them, what it does is it empowers you to have more grace for others. And that's why you have grace for others. Because you're like, oh my goodness, they're just like me. I wonder if I can actually help them. Instead of condemning them, I wonder, I wonder if I could help them. <clears throat> and so, it says here in Matthew 18, this is really important for, for church. This is, I, I haven't heard this talked about enough, to be quite honest, in church. And we were, ta- we were talking about this in pre-service, and it says this. This is how we do biblical reconciliation. This is how we do biblical uh, conflict resolution. It's very simple. It says this, if your brother or sister sins against you, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. Keep it one-to-one. There's nothing to do with the church right now. This is life. If, you, if they listen to you, you have won them over. So it's something about winning them over. You're trying to champion them. You're trying to help them. You're not trying to, to, to push them away. You're not trying to compete with them who's right or wrong. You're trying to win them over. If they will not listen, take one or two others along so that it, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And if they still refuse to listen, tell the church. And if they refuse to listen, even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. So what's going on here is there's three steps. The first is we go one-to-one. Why? Because you want to help someone. When you're reconciling with people, you're, out, you're going out of love. You're trying to help. You're not trying to judge them. You're trying to say, oh man, God's got better for you. There's better in you. God's got a better plan for your life than what you're doing. You speak life over them. If it doesn't work, you're like, come on, let's get some help. Try and help them to see my perspective because there's, you want to do everything possible to try and help that person get back on track because they could waste years of their life, decades. Their whole life could be gone. The enemy came to steal, kill, and destroy. And thirdly, if it doesn't work, then bring maybe someone that they would trust more from the church. That's what it's talking about. Someone that's maybe more held in higher esteem. Someone who they knew would be neutral. If they think or there's suspicious around you, it's not, not bringing the church in as this big kind of institution to lord over. It's to bring that person back. How do we love this person? How do we help them to see the best? And so that's the three steps that we've got to apply in here. The same in school. You've got to apply that same principle of how do we love these students the best? Well, we need to have an environment that, that edifies learning and edifies respect and edifies working together. And, and it's the same within the church. And so number three, reconciliation is about saving people from themselves. Jesus came to save you from the sin that lives on the inside. The battle is on, on the inside. What is it? The Bible says that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the powers and principalities of darkness, which are on the inside. Because if we're honest, we all have that little bit of evil on the inside of us. That sounds bad, doesn't it? But you just look back to the kids. <laughs> we're nearly done, so this is really important. Oh, you got to write this stuff down, guys. Seriously. This is gold, in my opinion. <laughs> if you see a problem, watch this. this is, you can bring this into work. Do whatever you want with it. If you see a problem with someone and you do not address it, 
The problem is no longer the problem. Guess who is the problem? You. Because I don't know about you, but, but if you're not talking to that person about it, you're going to be talking to other people about it, which comes under slander, which comes under gossip. If you don't deal with it, you're the problem. That's why if we've le- in our leadership training here, we have to coach people to say, listen, if there's something not right with the team, don't talk to everyone else about it. Go to the person. Because if they find out you're talking about everyone else, it's going to cause them to get mad. And if you actually go to them directly, you might find out there's not that big a deal. I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, there's just a few things I'd like you to do. Subscribe to our podcast so the most recent message will always be in your feed. Secondly, if this ministry has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can go onto our website at ariatchurch.org and give now. And we will see you next time on the Ariat Church Podcast.